Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. On the show this week, we'll be discussing Britain and its place in the European Union. Britain's first majority Conservative government for 18 years is pushing for a renegotiation of its relationship with the EU, enshrined in a new treaty, and has promised an in-out referendum on membership by the end of 2017. Prime Minister David Cameron, who has already set out some of the ideas where he wants to dilute or take back powers from the EU, now appears minded to accelerate the timetable. Britain's EU partners, meanwhile, are keen to accommodate London, but not at any price. Joining me to discuss these latest developments are George Parker, our UK political editor, and Alex Barker, our European diplomatic editor. George, can I start with you? What exactly does Cameron want? Well, he wants to renegotiate a better deal for the UK and he wants to put it to the British people by the end of 2017. That's the outline of the strategy in a referendum. We think the referendum could happen as early as the autumn of 2016. In terms of what he wants, he really wants to be able to show the British people that something's changed in our relationship. And uh, there's a lot of detail in that. But I think he essentially wants to show that Europe has got the message out the need to be more open and with fewer rules. He wants to do something about immigration. He wants to limit the access of British welfare payments to migrant workers. He wants to get Britain out of the totemic ever closer union commitment that was in the founding Treaty of Rome for the European Union. And he wants to give national parliaments a greater say over EU law. So that's the package of measures. But essentially, he wants to be able to show to the British people, look, something's changed. The European Union's got it. And then I'm absolutely convinced at the end of that process, he will campaign for Britain to stay in. Does he absolutely need to be able to change the EU treaties to get what he wants? Well, that's become one of the sticking points of this whole uh, pre-negotiation, if you like. David Cameron has said that he thinks to enshrine some of his proposed reforms, he needs a full-on proper treaty change. And that set alarm bells ringing across the European Union because the idea of treaty change sends shivers of horror through many chancelleries. They remember the Lisbon Treaty, they remember the Maastricht Treaty and the problem they have of getting those ratified, particularly through national referendums, which are required in a number of countries. But uh, as Alex will say, there's treaty change and there's treaty change. And once the Brussels lawyers have got to work with their Jacques Cartier pens, normally there are ways around this without the necessity of a full-on proper treaty change, as David Cameron put it. And there are all manner of declarations and protocols and political agreements which can have very much the same sort of effect. Alex, doesn't the Eurozone need treaty change if it's going to uh, deepen integration and sort of reinforce its structures? Yes, but that is possibly an even bigger question than the British one. Germany, for a long time, has been saying we need to reform how we manage ourselves as a currency union. But it raises the kind of questions about debt mutualization, about sharing risks, about more kind of discipline and centralization that, for various reasons, countries run a mile from. And at the moment, that process has stalled. Mario Draghi of the ECB is, is keen to get it going again, to give him some cover for the kind of interventions that the ECB are making. But on a political level, it's really at a step-by-step pace at the moment. And there's nothing like the kind of federal leap in the works 
that Britain was hoping for to kind of hitch its demands to and give itself some leverage in a negotiation. So if there's no sort of Eurozone wagon to hitch to, how else are they going to do this? Well, clearly, most countries would prefer to avoid Britain leaving. They'd certainly prefer to avoid the negotiation and the pain that would involve. So there is certainly the appetite to give Britain a deal. What scares people most on the continent is actually the process in some ways more than the content. They don't want to be in a situation where they're either ratifying treaties or bringing issues up with their own domestic electorate that cause them problems at home or, in a worst case scenario, force them to have a referendum. And so the process really does matter for them. They want this to be as kind of short, as simple and as unintrusive on their domestic environments as possible. And this is where the creative lawyers come in. Denmark is an example everyone is looking at. In 1992, they rejected a treaty. Everyone thought, oh my God, what are we going to do? We can't possibly renegotiate this among the 28. And they ended up with a very specific Danish solution that said, you know, we will give you X, Y, and Z in terms of opt-outs and we'll change it and make it formal in the next treaty. And it held. And in terms of an outcome, Denmark got everything that was outlined in that deal. But in the Danish situation, the next treaty was already sort of coming down the track. It was only a few years after, was it? 1997 was the next treaty. George, surely Conservative Eurosceptics are going to smell a rat here, aren't they? And think this isn't real treaty change. This is going to be decades before we actually get to a real overhaul of of the way the EU works. Yeah, what Alex there is describing is a sort of post-dated check, isn't it? It's basically a promissory note that things will change in the future. But nevertheless, I think there are ways, and Alex and I were discussing this earlier, that the lawyers can make this legally binding from the moment such an agreement is put in place. There are always new treaties coming down the track, maybe not big treaty changes like the Amsterdam Treaty or the Nice Treaty, but you have accession treaties, for example, when a new member state joins. So there are ways of doing it. But you're right, Ben, the Eurosceptic Tory MPs will smell a rap. But on the other hand, they're going to smell a rap whatever David Cameron comes back with from Brussels. The moment he comes back from Brussels with his bit of paper and says, this is the deal, the cries of betrayal will be in the air from many of the real hardline Eurosceptics. But I think it'd be easy to overdo that. I think the number of Conservative MPs who were likely to campaign for a British exit out of the 330 newly elected Tory MPs, I don't think will number much more than 50 or 60. I think, although the Conservative Party now is a is basically a mainstream Eurosceptic party, I think the majority, the vast majority of Conservative MPs will go along with whatever David Cameron negotiates. But isn't that the end of the Tory party as we know it? Well, the Tory party will split during the course of the referendum and there'll be people campaigning on both sides. There's another question, interesting question about whether members of David Cameron's cabinet will be allowed to campaign on both sides of the referendum. That's a big decision for David Cameron because there are a number of ministers, for example, Michael Gove or Chris Grayling, who've indicated that they could perfectly well imagine Britain living outside of the European Union. Would they be allowed to campaign on both sides of the campaign? That's what Harold Wilson allowed them to do with his cabinet, his Labour cabinet, back in 1975 when we had our last EU referendum. But generally, the question is, there's no question the Tory party will split during the referendum campaign. The question is whether they come back together again afterwards. My guess is that Cameron will campaign for a yes. My guess also is that Britain will vote for Britain to stay in. And at that point, those Conservative MPs who are campaigning for a Brexit will have a tough decision. Do they go off and join UKIP or some other fringe party or do they walk away? Or my guess is most of them will just come back into the fold and bite their lip for a while. Alex, if uh, Conservative Eurosceptics smell a rat in all of these legal arrangements, won't other countries smell an opportunity? I mean, Greece might see an opportunity to, you know, get some special treatment or 
other states with other grievances, you know, would see it as a way of getting their issues addressed? Yes. And this is exactly the kind of thing that the big member states, France and Germany, want to contain as much as possible. They don't want that kind of queue forming over country-specific demands that's going to unravel everything in the treaties. And this is the delicate balancing act that everyone's going to have to manage in the coming months. And not least, the question of Eurosceptic parties in Denmark, in France, that may also see the kind of British drive as an example to follow or to press for, for changes at home. And so how the domestic politics in European countries plays out is really going to be pivotal to this, especially in Eastern Europe as well, where issues about migrant worker rights and free movement can really be explosive at a domestic level and may be the things that would force leaders who want to help Britain decide that it's really not in their interest at home to give a lot up. George, one of the reasons for Fast forwarding with all of this stuff is really to end the uncertainty that risks undermining potentially the British economy and weighing over British business. Is the government worried about that now? I think the government is worried about it, but I think we should put all that into context. The um, British economy is doing pretty well. David Cameron announced his plans to hold a referendum back in 2013. And in the intervening period, there's been no evidence that inward investment, for example, into the UK has dried up. I think many businesses look at this and think, actually... You know, the Tories have won, there will be a referendum, but still think, and certainly the opinion polls suggest that Britain will vote quite substantially to stay within the European Union. Um, And that's even before the argument has really started and before the economic facts have been laid before the British people. But nevertheless, business, as we know, hates uncertainty. David Cameron, I'm sure, would rather get on with this and rather having having this referendum hanging over his party for the whole of a five-year parliament. So, yeah, I think they want to get on with it. I think they'd love to be able to do it in um, the second half of 2016 if they can. Very good. That's it for this week. My thanks to George Parker and Alex Parker. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.